Hello and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. As always, I'm your host, Bill Wirtz, with Billy Joel's pressure fading out in the background. This is episode 117 on June 2nd, 2023, and my guest this week is Georges Tejera. He's a policy advisor for the Liberal Initiative Party at the Portuguese Parliament, and we talked about Portugal's national airline, TAP, and the political scandal uh, it has created recently. You can hear the entire exchange at the end of this episode, and I have one more story before that, which is actually also aviation-related. The airline lobby, Airlines for Europe, A4E, says that more taxes on aviation won't incentivize greening. This is political writing. Imposing a kerosene tax on intra-EU flights will not help the aviation industry access what is essential decarbonizing technologies or boost green fuel production, industry lobby Airlines for Europe has said in response to a study commissioned earlier this week from Transport and Environment, which is an NGO. And so this study suggested that um, hydrogen jets, which are more eco-friendly, would be cheaper um, if there was a tax imposed on kerosene. Well, that's a wonderful uh, sentiment there and fantastic calculations. Uh, One product will be cheaper than the other um, if the other product is taxed more significantly. Fantastic economics here from transport and environment. Um, And by the way, Airlines for Europe also says the allocation of revenues from such a tax is far from guaranteed to be funneled back into the aviation sector's decarbonizing efforts. Well, you don't say. Uh, Of course, we know all that. A lot of these taxes are raised uh, sometimes to help fight climate change, and they don't end up actually doing that. Um, Welcome to politics. Uh, The uh, lobby group projects that by 2030, sustainable aviation fuels will fuel around 6% of European aviation, jumping to 20% by 2035. You know that on one of the previous episodes, we did talk about sustainable aviation fuel in more detail. I think it's just very funny how transport and environment uh, actually got to... uh, got to this conclusion that you could just make hydrogen cheaper than kerosene by making kerosene more expensive. Uh, I think that's just hilarious uh, how that study came about. Um, They say, by the way, under current tax rules, hydrogen airplanes will be 8% more expensive to operate than kerosene. However, a tax on fossil jet fuel, along with a price on carbon, could make hydrogen planes 2% cheaper than their kerosene counterparts. This is just amazing. I mean, this is it's quality policy advice there from Transport and Environment. Uh, Give me a good laugh. But let's move to the interview of the week. Georges Tejera is a much better policy advisor there at the uh, Liberal Initiative Party uh, in uh, the Portuguese Parliament. And we talked about TAP, the national airline of Portugal, and uh, some of the scandal uh, that its management um, has created and the proximity the airline has to the government. So listen in, this is super interesting. Georges, before we get into it, um, without mentioning the actual context, can you just explain to people what TAP actually is? Well, uh, thank you, Bill, for, for inviting me here. It's, uh, it's a great pleasure to be here with the Consumer Choice Center and with you as well. Um, and uh, going right into, into business. So TAP is pretty much like any other uh, public airline like you've seen in the, in the last decades in Europe. Like most, most airlines in Europe were actually um, publicly created by the state. Um, and TAP is one of those cases. It was created, I think, in the, in the 50s like many others, 
and then it just you know it's a usual public company it, it was never privatized sort of um, and so it, it pretty much um, had the same issues that other public companies had as well so a hard time getting profitable a lot of subsidies and intricate schemes going into it a lot of mismanagement as well. Um, and since the 90s, um, that different governments and different parties have been discussing what to do with TAP, how to make sure it's profitable, etc. Um, and then uh, in, in 2015, uh, a very short-lived government, it was a 10-day government, managed to privatize, like flash privatization of the company. But then uh, the government was brought down uh, through a vote of no confidence, and then the socialists nationalized the company again. Uh, and that's pretty, much, that's pretty much where the whole story begins, and then we can get to that later, but that's, that's pretty much it. So a national airline like any other airline that was almost private, but it isn't. Right, and, and airlines are, to some extent, a bit of a national pride for many countries. There are only few countries in Europe that really don't have their own national airline. Ireland, for instance, interestingly has uh, its own national airline, but actually its popular airline is Ryanair, which is a private company. And then you have a country such as Hungary, which doesn't have its own national airline, but it has it has Wizz Air, which does a lot of flights. And one more thing before we get into the, the context here, uh, to what extent is TAP significant for the Portuguese market? One of the arguments of many countries is that if we don't have a national airline, our own citizens won't be able to get to some of these destinations because maybe some private operators wouldn't find it interesting uh, to fly out of Lisbon or Porto. To what extent um, are Lisbon and Porto significant airports? Uh, well, um, it's, it's fun to, to, to have to face this question um, in, in this podcast in particular because uh, I think you guys know perfectly that's, that's not what happens really. I mean, if there's demands, there will be a service running for those people. And uh, that has been actually ostensibly demonstrated throughout the last years as Ryanair has penetrated the Portuguese market. Uh, so the one, one major argument for TAP, which is quite particular to Portugal as well, is that TAP is fundamental in connecting the Portuguese communities. Because we have a big diaspora, you know that, being from Luxembourg. And we also have uh, two archipelagos, we have Madeira and, and the Açores. Uh, and TAP maintains regular connections and you have some special conditions for people who, um, who uh, come from those places. But actually, people from the Azores prefer to fly, fly Ryanair whenever they have the opportunity, uh, and they actually avoid flying TAP, like actively, right? So pe pe everyone knows what the fun acronym for TAP is, which is take another plane, and that, that's pretty much a principle that people follow in Portugal as well. Um, so TAP is a last resource company uh, because it services you like pretty much like a low-cost company, uh, uh, but then uh, it's really expensive to fly TAP, actually. And it's not great service. And the good thing about the company, uh, being Portuguese myself, is that I actually like to see the national covers on a plane, right? Okay, that's a sentimental thing. It's fun. It's nice to be greeted in Portuguese whenever I'm flying, you know, from Brussels to Portugal and someone says a lot. That's nice. Uh, but that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, and so the market has already demonstrated that there is sufficient demand for other companies to step in if TAP happens to disappear. But it should be noted that whenever you're discussing privatization, you're not discussing the destruction of, the, of TAP as, as a company. You're most likely talking about a deep restructuring of the company uh, because 
it still has brand value as a company. Uh, there is still demand for a company that looks Portuguese. Um, and so probably we would have some form of tap, maybe with a rebrand, maybe, yes, with another big company uh, running uh, everything such as Lufthansa or whatever, but the brand would probably be kept or maybe another brand would be created. I don't, I don't think, you know, any foreign buyers would just extinguish the brand itself. So it's not really an issue. Not sure how advisable it is to sell to Lufthansa, but uh, we're not quite there yet because <laughs> right now tap is facing... Uh, a bit of a scandal, and so is the Portuguese government, uh, ease us into right. what happened here. Okay, so I had to write this down, but I'll probably commit mistakes. So uh, just as a, as a way of, uh, of disclaimer, I'm, I'm not the advisor responsible for, for TAP. That's, uh, that's Gonzalo, who is my colleague and is doing the, the commission, the, the economics committee, and he's also working in the parliamentary inquiry that's going on right now. Uh, but I, I've dipped my toes here and there uh, in the in the issue as well. So so basically, what what happens is so we know that TAP isn't profitable, right? Uh, in the last like twenty years, yeah, two years where it was profitable, um, uh, but still, uh, when the COVID crisis hit. Uh, in 2020, a lot of European governments decided to, um, um, you know, pour money into their into the several airlines. Lufthansa was was a, one of the benefactors from from these from the from these programs. Uh, but it should be noted that the German government loaned money to Lufthansa, so it's still yeah, it's still state aid, but it's a loan, right? And we know that Lufthansa has paid its money back. I know that Brussels right now is contesting the legality of these loans. Um, but still, uh, that's how it was done. So I could dispute this as, as a liberal and my party in Germany would also probably take a stance against this, but that's how it happened. In Portugal, um, the Portuguese government basically gave away 3.2 billion euros to TAP, uh, knowing that the company wasn't profitable before COVID, right? So TAP wasn't in trouble because of COVID. TAP was already in trouble before COVID, and that's, because, and that's the reason why the previous government tried to privatize it, but the government still gave it 3.2 Bs. Brussels, surprisingly, approved the aid under the conditions of a very strict restructuring program, which, of course, implied the downsizing of the company and firing a lot of people, which is ironic because the socialists were arguing that, you know, if the company were privatized, a lot of people would be fired, etc., etc., etc. So the government decided, so the government ended up having to fire themselves, like, thousands of workers and a very deep restructuring plan and um, that's been underway um, since uh, since then and uh, surprisingly in 2021 no sorry already 2022 uh, by the end of the year the government announced that it was going to privatize the company um, so right now we know that TAP is going to, pr to be privatized 3.2 billion euros after 3.2 billion euros is a lot of money uh, in Portugal Right. Uh, so it's a little under uh, it's, it's just a little under of the, the total of corporate tax revenue um, in the in the state budget. Right. And we're talking about something like six percent of all fiscal revenues in Portugal uh, in in one year. Uh, if and consider that our GDP is something like two hundred and seventy billion euros. So three point two billion is a lot. Um, and so it's a huge waste of money. And you could apply that money to any other thing. So our party has been saying this, you know, it's a market liberal party, but we still argue 
Like, if you poured all this money to hospitals, it, it would still be a better expense, even though we want to reform the healthcare system. But this is the worst way to disrespect your taxpayers. And um, just, just to end, just to uh, end this argument, and the Liberal Initiative, when it started talking about this, it was pretty much alone arguing that the company should, should be privatized because the center-right parties private, tried to privatize it, thought it was very unpopular and didn't want to push the issue after it was nationalized. So, uh, so kind of cowardly, but we can talk about that later. Um, and actually one of our MPs, uh, who was also president of the party a couple of years ago, wrote a book about this uh, called um, Millions Are Flying. Um, where he basically, so he was, he used to be a consultant, like a, a strategy consultant. So he's very good with all the, those kinds of calculations and looking at, uh, you know, projections for companies, etc. And he calculated that in order for TAP to pay this, this loan back, this loan back, it would have to uh, spend 40 years repeating the same results it had in its best year, which was 2017. <laughs> so it's virtually impossible. And so we kept asking the government, is the comp- is, is TAP going to pay this money back? And they always tried to run from the question. And of course it wasn't. Now it's being privatized. So how did the scandal begin? That's, how we want, that's what we want to know. So basically, uh, this last winter, um, this last winter, a senior, a senior employee in the company is fired for dubious reasons. Uh, Alexandra Reich. She is fired. She was a senior member uh, and she was awarded a compensation of 500,000 uh, euros, which is a very high compensation. But it's a senior, it's a senior executive, etc. You could be argued that that's a fair compensation. But then um, she moves into the airspace regulator for her next job for a few months. And then she is nominated as a secretary of state of the treasury. And that's the moment where you know, journalists started digging into her background and found all of this. Huge, uh, huge scandal. The Minister of Infrastructure denies that he was aware of that kind of compensation, but then it is, it's revealed that he knew about it, all of this in December. And how is it revealed? Because a WhatsApp chat is leaked. Because the confirmation, you know, he's okay for this compensation was made in a WhatsApp chat with a, with a thumbs up. So everyone saw the thumbs up. And then that's how we know it happened. He resigned. No minister comes in still, still in December. All right. So we know, then, then a report came out saying from the, for the general, you know, for the, you know, the inspectors um, of, the fin- of the finance ministry, basically they, they revealed that actually the reasons, the way through which this senior employee was fired was not totally legal, it was not well done, and this is on the TAP CEO, so the government fires the TAP CEO on live TV. And she didn't know about this, by the way, so she learns from live TV that she was being fired, which is also problematic from a labor point of view, it shouldn't be done like that, and there was another uh, report saying that it shouldn't be done like this. Okay, so all these problems uh, take her uh, to the um, to the econ- to the economy committee in Parliament in January, and this is where all of this process starts. And because of all of this mismanagement, uh, the Parliament approves the constitution of um, of a parliamentary inquiry on the political management of TAP, and that's where all you know the major issues start arriving. 
uh, start arising for the government, especially because since she was fired, and she's actually foreign, she's French, so she doesn't really care, uh, she's willing to talk. And a lot of people were willing to talk in a sudden. And she reveals that before her hearing uh, at, uh, at the um, Economy Committee in, in January, she had a meeting with uh, socialist MPs basically to uh, prepare the questions. Uh, and so they basically rehearsed the, the, um, the hearing in the day after. And she basically named the, the, one of the MPs who was, was actually sitting in the same room as her in the inquiry. She said the name of an MP, and the MP is actually this shot is like, oh, oops. Uh, so it's a great moment uh, of national TV in Portugal. It's very popular. It's very popular now. It's not in the inquiry anymore uh, for some reason. Um, and so that's the beginning of a huge scandal because that was supposed to be a secret meeting. Uh, and there was and then there, there was the question who ordered this meeting to happen who, who suggested that this meeting happened and it was floated that the minister of infrastructure the new minister of infrastructure actually suggested for that meeting to happen fast forward uh, a parliamentary inquiry committee has a lot of powers and it, it can request a lot of documentation and basically the parliament asked for all documentation relating to to that meeting and what happened then and that's when that's when the story gets blurry but we know that fast forward one of the advisors in the in the ministry uh, is fired because it wasn't um, it wasn't sharing his notes of the meeting and those notes needed to be shared with the with Parliament and since he was fired he proceeded to go to to the building of the Ministry of Infrastructure to grab his laptop, his work laptop, because allegedly he had his PhD documents and personal stuff in there, and he takes the laptop home. But he not only takes the laptop home, why? Because his former colleagues were all there, they tried to stop him from taking the laptop. There was an actual physical confrontation of him with his former colleagues, like he was throwing like his bag with the laptop around, fighting his colleagues. The police is called to the building, and then he is somehow escorted out of the building with the help of the police. He wasn't arrested. The police didn't stop him from taking the laptop. He takes the laptop home. And what you know is that in two hours, the SIS, which is the Portuguese Intelligence Services, contacted him to recover the laptop. This is a huge problem uh, because the intelligence services in Portugal have a very limited scope of action you know, because we have a rough pass with a, with, a, with a secret service during a dictatorship. And so the intelligence services in Portugal are literally just in, information gathering services. They cannot contact citizens like this. They have a very limited scope of action. And so this was very weird. It is not their role to recover stolen laptops from random citizens and to call people at you know, 11, 11 in the night. Uh, and so, yeah, everybody started asking questions about this. And that's, that's when it gets really messy um, because you don't know who ordered what. We're still trying to get all the details from what happened on that night. Uh, who fought who, who, uh, who said what, uh, who took the initiative. Why would you want to withhold, you know, um, these documents from the government? Because he, th because he claims that the minister wanted to hide those notes. The minister says that he wanted to withhold them for some reason. 
we don't know which version is true. So it's a huge mess. You have a question. Yes, it is. It is a huge mess. And thank you for laying it out for us. It definitely shows that the proximity between uh, these uh, publicly owned companies and, and governments are definitely uh, always causing a problem. However, because there are these approximations and so on, do you think anyone is, other than politically, legally in trouble with this whole affair? You are legally in trouble if you lie in a parliamentary inquiry. So that's the baseline. And someone lied, but we don't know whom. Um, our major question right now is that the Minister of Infrastructure uh, basically freaked out when he became aware of what happened in the ministry. And throughout that night, he called several ministers and he named them. He, he, he stated, oh, I called this minister, that minister, the other minister. So like four different ministries were, were contacted by him. And so they were all indirectly involved. But our main question was always, okay, so who told you to contact the SIS? Uh, under what protocol do you contact the SIS to recover a stolen laptop? Because according to this former advisor, he was actually like almost threatened by the SIS. Uh, like um, the, it, the, the agent said something like, hey, if you don't return this like on... Um, um, I, I can't translate the, the exact expression from Portuguese to English, but basically you should do this like in a very, you, you should comply with us or, you know, something else may, may happen. So it, it was a, a real threat behind the whole thing. And so we've been trying to figure out what, what exactly happened and what were the details. And because right now, some of the people that the minister claims he contacted are not confirming or denying the contact. Uh, and the government is refusing to discuss this. And what's the problem here? The SIS and all the intelligence gathering services in Portugal are under the direct supervision of the prime minister. And so he is ultimately or politically responsible for all things that are done by the, by the SIS. And so they're trying just to move on. But right now, the, we're really in a very muddy situation. And so politically speaking, what happened? So the obvious thing would be to, you know, to, to fire the minister or for the minister to resign because he really did mismanage the whole situation. Uh, I remember seeing the, the, the press conference he gave a few days after that episode and it was awful. It was all over the place. It wasn't properly briefed. So it's really not, you know, being able to manage the whole thing. So he presented his re resignation. The president of the republic was pressing for his resignation. The president in Portugal is independently elected. Uh, it's a semi-presidential regime. But the prime minister refused his resignation. Basically, has a power move against the president, right? I'm not doing things because the president tells me to. And so we have kind of a situation of uh, an institutional falling out between the prime minister and the president, where the government is badly discredited like you've had right now, so the government has been in power with an absolute majority for a little over one year, like one year and two months, and you already had like 14 switches in cabinet. That's not a great show of stability. And, and they're not being able to push through any reform package uh, or anything relevant right now, but they're still, in, they're still in power, but in a very fragile position. And so let me extrapolate from that in that sense, because I don't feel it has really gotten the, the, the international attention it 
probably should. It's just as a side note in a lot of the international news. Um, but more might happen, so we might hear more about it. To what extent, like, how how do you think this reflects on on Portugal overall? Uh, I think it reflects badly, um, and for several reasons that may also have to do. I was thinking about this just before coming here, and 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 you know, and deducing that you would ask me that question. Uh, I think it reflects badly on on our political institutions because. It is very clear that the government is under no condition to continue. And uh, the Liberal Initiative uh, has already asked for the resignation of the government as a whole because it has it has no, no conditions. I read, actually, we did that in December. So before all of this happened, we already presented um, a motion of non-confidence in Parliament, which was rejected because there's an absolute majority. But we stated at the time that, that as things were in December there was no place, there was no good place where the government could go, you know, from there. And actually our theory and, and what, what we said actually proved true. Um, right now what happens is we have this, this, institution, this institutional falling out between prime minister and president. Everyone is wondering when are we going to have elections because the president can actually dissolve parliament or resign the government which is, would have probably the same consequence because the socialists would not pick a different prime minister, right? Um, and, we're, and the president refuses to do so because he's evaluating the conditions and because he wants to make sure that there is an alternative. Okay, but there is an alternative, right? There are other parties and people can vote for an alternative. The real problem, the, what he means by this is right now, the radical right party, Shiga, is very high in polls. It's something like 11%. <clears throat> and so the center-right parties, the center and center-right parties, the PSD and the Liberal Initiative, would not be able to form a majority themselves. They would probably need the radical right. But we're not interested in doing that. And so it's basically stalling the whole situation until things change. But the problem is the president can make that evaluation privately. But stating publicly that there is no alternative to the current government is not really a good way to manage things. Because that allows for the prime minister to do the power moves, the types of power moves he did when he refused to resign a very incompetent minister. And, and so, um, yeah, so we're still waiting for the, next, uh, for the next events. So next week we'll have uh, the previous minister of infrastructure and uh, one of his secretary of states who did a lot of, you know, stupid stuff. I'm not, not worth mentioning here. They're going to be in the parliamentary inquiry and we'll see what happens from there. The, the official stance of the government is we'll make an evaluation of the whole situation when we have the final uh, report from the parliamentary inquiry. Uh, so right now we don't know. So there was an idea in Portugal that we would have a snap election after European elections. Right now, it's not off the table. The possibility of having elections uh, before or even during European elections is not off the table. Um, but this is just me speculating right now. But it's a situation of instability. We know that the government would be able to push through a lot right now. Uh, so we'll have to see what this, what you know, what goes from here.
as we're getting to the end of our time, I had one more question for you, which is sort of what do we do about this entire thing? Um, and, you know, is the solution, well, the government resigns and TAP gets sold for scraps to Air France. What is your multi-step plan? What, what, what genuinely actually needs to be done about this that would efficiently guarantee some type of political stability, people making their choice about a new government, but also for this company to finally leave the space of proximity to the government? Uh, let me say something that's not politically not politically very correct, which is political stability is not the you know is not the, the end point of all things. It's it's it shouldn't be the main goal when trying to solve political crisis. Uh, I mean, you have a lot of systems that are fully parliamentary uh, parliamentary systems, and basically they go through crisis and through election from election until they figure out a solution. Spain did that. Um, during a few years. Spain was basically uh, a couple of years without a government, without a properly functioning government, because they couldn't figure out an alternative majority to the ruling party at the time, which was the PP. Other countries in Europe have gone through those kinds of processes, and they're not pleasant. Uh, yes, there's not as much stability, but then they figure it out. In Portugal, uh, we still have a pro-stability bias that may be prone to... Um, prolonging governments more than they should. But of course, there's an absolute majority. And so, uh, and so yeah, so we have to wait. Uh, so the multi-step plan is, well, there should be um, elections um, until, until next year. Um, I think that should happen um, because we have a lot of challenges ahead. Uh, we still have the, the resilience and recovery plan as well to, to implement. I'm not sure whether the government is competent enough to do that. And it's failing on a lot of areas, you know, well, agriculture, which is an area I know you're very interested in. Our, our minister is quite incompetent and she's not being able to manage things. Um, and so you would need quick change, actually, in order to do these things. There are many reforms that the government is not able to do because some of them are tough and you need to have politi the political capital to do that. And, and Prime Minister Costa has been in power for eight years. Eight years is a lot. He has shown that he has no political project uh, beyond, you know, just granting power. You know, the coalition or the, the confidence and supply agreement with the far left was all about maintaining power and uh, distributing some money, but not much more than that. There was no reformist project. And so it's we everybody knows that it's at an end. Everybody knows that our prime minister has European ambitions And so we should help him fulfill his European ambitions. So regarding uh, regarding TAP, I mean, it's a very sad thing. And we know that TAP is losing value by the day as this parliamentary inquiry goes on. And actually, the socialists have been accusing the opposition uh, of, of devaluing TAP by bring, bringing all of these cases and all, and all of these issues to light. But that's not our fault, right? Uh, I mean, that's that's the fault with the management and all the mismanagement. Uh, and that's a symptomatic problem of what the public management of companies in, in competitive sectors uh, does. Uh, and, and TAP is, is uh, something of a, of, a, of a cautionary tale uh, of what happens when you have these huge behemoths uh, with a lot of money and a lot of political, um, with a lot of political implications in the hands of, of government, right? Because you don't even know who's responsible for what, and and people are and politicians are always you know throwing responsibilities around, and and the, in the end it's an important company that could have a future. I'm not saying TAP is recoverable. That's being damaged by that, 
And so, yeah, so the government needs to look for the best deal uh, under the best market price it can find. I can, I, can, I can promise a good market price for the company right now, but we need to do our political scrutiny on the company. And if TAP is politically scrutinized, that's because that was the choice of the socialists who wanted the company to be public. So we're just doing our job. And that's what happens when you have, you know, um, a national public company. That's what happens. I think that's a great conclusion to head to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Georges, for leading our listeners through the intricacies of these of, of this scandal. And thank you for joining the Consumer Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for, for having me here. And that concludes this week's episode of Consumer. You can follow Georges Tejera at JME Tejera on Twitter. You can also find that in the bio of this uh, podcast. And of course, follow the Consumer Choice Center as well at Consumer Choice C. As always, I'm your host, Bill Wirtz, and I'll see you Thursday. You have to learn to pace yourself. Pressure. You're just like everybody else. Pressure.